If you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. As you can tell from the way our stage is set up, there's a whole lot of things going on up here. Uh, But one of the things that we're doing, one of my favorite ways, and I think the only way that Jesus ever said to do anything in remembrance of him was found at the common table when we take communion, right? And so just kind of buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be a great day. Now listen, listen, look at me. I don't care about the rain outside. I don't care which team of yours lost or won or anything this weekend. We're here to worship. We're here to lift up Christ. And there's no greater name that we can talk about today than Jesus. And so I want you to, as you look at that text, I want to tell you something that you probably didn't know. And that is that you have a need sometimes that you don't know that you know. Like, what? Yeah, sometimes you and I live life, and there's things in our life we didn't know we needed it until we had it. Like, for example, how many years did you live without one of these? Yeah, everybody's going, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I didn't have mine now. That's what you're thinking, right? Because, I mean, there's there's things in life that we we have that we didn't know we needed it until we got it. And we're like, man, I like this. For some of you women, it's chocolate. You just didn't know you needed chocolate until you got chocolate, right? Many years ago, there was a phrase that began to circulate in America called snake oil. Do y'all know the history behind snake oil? Snake oil actually literally was oil that came from a snake. The Chinese brought, the, brought it over with them when they began to immigrate to help in the West with the expansion of the railroad. But it wasn't really, snake oil really didn't take on the negative connotation until salesmen tried to convince you that you needed something you didn't know you needed. In fact, one author talks about snake oil salesman like this says that salesman's character was that of a fast talker who with a certain twisted charm and verbal misdirection could convince consumers that his medicinals were capable of curing all kinds of diseases and for that matter it would help you regain your youth or help grow hair on a billiard ball They capitalized on convincing you that you needed it. And isn't that sometimes the thing that drives you crazy about salesmen? No offense to our salesmen. But your job is if somebody walks up on a car lot, is to convince them that that car is something they didn't know they needed. But they need that one. They need that color. They need that upgrade, right? Or when you go to talk to anything you're buying, you just didn't really know you needed it until you realized that you needed it. For everybody in this room, there's something that all of us need, and you probably didn't realize it. Maybe you have. It's something that snake oil is not going to take away. Ajax won't scrub it off. You can sandpaper it, and paint's not going to cover it. You can dismiss this need. You can deny it. You can ignore it. But this problem is prevalent, and it's pervasive. It's sin. Your need and my need to have our sin taken away is the need that many of you don't know that you have. Can I just pretend for a moment that you and I individually are sitting at a table somewhere having coffee? We live in a culture that celebrates cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is this liturgical way of living That someone who claims to know Christ, who claims to be a Christian, will go through Christian motions. That on the outside has the appearance of Christianity, uses Christian jargon, 
claims Christ as their Savior, but they've never come to that point of admitting that they are a sinner who cannot save himself or herself and acknowledges that Jesus came and died on a cross to solve the problem that I didn't know I had. And so if I were to ask you this question one-on-one, how do you know you're saved? What would you say? Well, some of you in this room would say, well, you know, I was baptized when I was seven. Baptism does not save you. Or some of you in this room might say, well, you know, my mom and dad, they, they planted the church that I grew up in. That doesn't save you. Listen, I had a professor in seminary confess to us that he was in his doctoral studies before he realized he was lost. Seminary. He realized that although maybe some of the problems in his life were being solved by following Christian principles, he had never met the Jesus who died on the cross to save him from his sins. When I look at Scripture, especially in the book of Acts, when when the apostles were beginning their ministry, the way sometimes we do invitations in church and the way we, we say that we've accepted Jesus sometimes doesn't line up with what I read. You know what I read mostly? Is these men would look at people and say, you need to repent and trust Christ. You need to repent and be baptized. You need to repent. But, but the initiation there was the acknowledgement that I'm dead in my sin. In fact, Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, this verse, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What does something dead do? Nothing. It sits and rots. That's kind of horrible to think about, isn't it? But you bring nothing to the table. When you leave this world someday and you stand before a holy God in judgment, and you look at him and say, Well, I was baptized when I was seven, that's probably not going to get you passage into heaven. You can look at a holy God and say, But I was a pretty good person. I gave to the church. I, I had multiple Bibles with my name on it. My, my grandmother took me to church every week till I was 20, and then I just kind of worshiped at home by myself. If that's the appeals that you make before a holy God of why he should pass over you in judgment, I'm afraid that's not good news. You were dead. You and I were dead in our sins and our trespasses, which you used to walk according to the curse of this world, course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's working in the sons of disobedience we can come to church every Sunday and spend our hour with God and live like the devil the rest of the week we can live in disobedience why because transformation hasn't taken place Paul says among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Do you want to experience the wrath of God? You see, we don't talk about judgment much anymore, do we? We talk about five simple steps that God can help make your life better. Guys, I don't want a better life. I want a life in Christ. I want Christ to become the point of my life. 
I don't want him just to solve my problems. I want to be in him, and I want him to be in me. And I think that is what the gospel intends. And so a lot of us are walking around like zombies, claiming to have accepted Christ, but there's no change inside of us. In fact, as we've gone through this series, I think a lot of us, saved and lost, can identify with a lot of these messages. Like Job, you've experienced the pain of something unexpected happening in your life. But it still hasn't produced a yielding in your life. Like you go, oh wow, uh, man, I got through that. I can, I can wipe the sweat off my brow now. But you, God has allowed you to go through this hardship, but it hasn't produced yielding. Or maybe some of you identify with Naaman. You've been through some kind of illness. You've been through some kind of problem, some kind of season. But you're still holding on to the pride. Well, I'll get through this or I'll fix it myself. And you haven't responded to God in that unexpected way where he's asking you to do something unexpected. Or maybe you're like Balaam. You've decided you've got it all figured out. And even though God said, I don't want you to go, you go anyway. And by unexpected means, sometimes speaking through a donkey, God puts donkeys in our life. You know that? You still have refused to follow. Or maybe like Paul and others, you see that God has used others in very unexpected ways and services, calling men and women to strange, weird, and often hard tasks. But you refuse a life of ongoing submission. Oh, I'll do it for you this time, God. Or maybe you're over here going, well, you know what? God's going to tell me one of these days what I'm supposed to do. But the hour that you're in church, you live one way, and the rest of the week you live a different way because Christ is not the center of your life. You haven't grasped the, the, the reality that God sends unexpected things because he wants to align your attitude and your actions and your perspective. And right now they're out of alignment Because there's something missing. I think you're missing the gospel. I don't know where and when you were, if you were claiming to be a Christian, what happened to you. I'd love to hear it, though. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear you tell how your life was like before Jesus came into it. I'd like to hear what happened when Jesus saved you. In fact, last service... After we left out of here, immediately somebody began to tell me their story. He said, I was nine years old at this and this and this and this happened. And then to see the evidence of life change flowing after that point as God is beginning to conform you into the image of his son. That's what the gospel is about. We leave out the repentance component of salvation because we know that only God can save you. You bring nothing to the table But if he's saving us from our sins, then why am I going to continue in my sin? Now sure, when you become a Christian, we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. We know according to 1 John 1, 9, if if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just, right? To forgive me of my sin, cleanse me from unrighteousness. But I live a life with an unexpected need. And you know what happened? At an unexpected time, God sent an unexpected Savior. The world was sleeping when the Son of God, who was the Son of God before He came into this world, you hear that? He's always been the Son of God. When He came into this world, 
The world was asleep. Born in Bethlehem, an unexpected place, not in the palace. He's supposed to be the son of David, right? Shouldn't he have been born in a castle? To, to an unexpected mother. I mean, how, how in the world did God make the, meet the criteria to call Mary to be his earthly mother? I don't think she put it in application for that. And no one knew the time. But today I want to tell you that God did what he did at the intended time that he intended it. And to us it may be unexpected, but what God is calling for you and me to, to process today is have I met this unexpected Savior who meets my unexpected need? So I want to invite you to stand as we read a portion of Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse number 4. The Bible says, For when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions, say adoption, as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. One of those beautiful Trinity passages. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all right there in one verse. Then he says this, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir through God. Father, as we spend a few moments in this passage, I pray that you would speak to hearts today, calling men, women, boys, and girls to know Christ, open their hearts and their minds to understand that before they leave today, that they would do business with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to go ahead and tell you kind of the way this is going to play out. At the end of my message, we're going to sing a song. Kevin and Crosby, we're going to be up here at the front. And as I'm sharing with you today, if God begins to move on your heart, you say, you know what, I really don't know Jesus. I am guilty of cultural Christianity, going through the motions, claiming my works as the evidence for my salvation and not in Christ alone. And I'm going to invite you to come during that, that song and be saved. If you're struggling in your walk with Christ, you say, but yeah, I've put my, my hope in Christ, but I'm, I'm stuck, then come and let us pray for you. Or take this opportunity during that song to come and kneel down at this altar together and plead with the Lord to move on someone's life, to make the gospel reality, to, to open up their understanding so that they can receive, receive Christ and be saved. That's what our invitation is going to be today before we worship with communion. So to help us out today, I want you to get your study guide. And I'm going to give you all the blanks right off the bat. So that, so, that, so that all the blanks are filled in, you can go back and chew on the blanks later. Not literally, kids, don't go home and eat the paper. But the first point we're going to make today is this, God sent Jesus at the right time. You can write over that ripe time as well, because that's what's being, being indicated here. It's the same words, fullness. And then God sent Jesus to redeem us. God sent Jesus to redeem us. That was the purpose of why he was sent. And the things that happen in verse number 5 hinge upon Jesus being sent. So underneath that, the benefits are to pay our sin debt. 
to free us from debt and to adopt us into his family. I'll give you a few minutes. Make sure you get all those down. So God sent Jesus to redeem us. And the three benefits are to pay our sin debt, to free us from death, and to adopt us in his family. Now, you've got to add a word in the next one. I apologize. I left it out of my email when I sent it to Deborah. God sent, add the word sent, the Spirit to change who we are. As we studied Hebrews this summer, it's very, it's very elementary in our faith that we understand that when I receive Christ by faith, he puts his Spirit inside of us. New covenant causing us to obey his commands. And all that was done that in our unexpected, God sent the unexpected. In our unexpected, God sent the unexpected. And so out of that, here's the application. Trust Christ no matter the circumstances. Trust Christ no matter the circumstances. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever that need is, our need for Christ supersedes that need. Whatever it is. Let Christ be glorified and magnified in the fact that no matter where you are or what you are, our greatest need is to be forgiven, and Jesus paid for that need. So let's go back to the text for just a moment. I want to kind of chew down through this and make some observations. First thing is this. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. That is the primary verb of the next two sentences, God sent. In fact, you could say it like this, Jesus came at the ripe time. Is there anything more disgusting than to go to a grocery store and get a piece of fruit, maybe an apple, and it not be all the way ripe? Like, I don't know about you, but you know, I mean, I don't like, I, like, I mean, I can eat tart apples, but an unripe apple is just a little bit too much. Like, it, it just, there's just something chalky about it when you bite into a, a, an apple that's not ripe. Or a banana that's still green, it's, it's, like, it's like you're chewing on a piece of wood. Because it hasn't come to fullness yet. But how many of you have ever gone in, and this happened to me years ago, I, I, love, I used to love red delicious apples. Now I love Honeycrisp apples. Oh, they're divine. I'm pretty sure there's Honeycrisp in heaven somewhere. But I went in, because I was going to do an illustration about um, the seeds of an apple and and it was a leadership lesson. So I went and I bought this beautiful softball size red delicious apple. And my intent was to eat that apple when I was done illustrating with it. I took my knife and I pushed down into that apple. And about a quarter of an inch past the skin, it was black to the core. So how many of you have ever got an apple and bit into it and realized there's a wormhole but you can't find the worm? A little bit too ripe. See, when the fullness of time came, God's will, at that moment, Jesus passed from the heavenlies. He entered into that womb and was born into this world. That was the right time. God knew what he was doing. God still knows what he's doing. And he sent him at the right time. Aren't you thankful he sent him? In fact, as he was speaking, God speaking to, to Joseph through the angel the angel says to Joseph in Matthew 1, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Well, why would he be afraid? Because to come out and say she's going to be my wife means that he had to admit 
that he had relations with her before marriage, which was frowned down upon and is still frowned down upon. Y'all missed an opportunity there. Homosexuality is not the only sin that the Bible addresses when it comes to sex, ladies and gentlemen. Premarital sex is a sin too. Well, y'all still missed it. That's okay. And he was afraid for his life. He was afraid for her life. Because according to Old Testament law, she should have been stoned to death. Y'all realize that? But yet he said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. She will bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sin. His name means Yahweh saves. And sitting here today, I'm afraid we've allowed Satan to convince us, I'm okay because I'm a pretty good person. Don't sit in your pride thinking that just because you can get by with your sin in a closet doesn't mean that sin hasn't come to pay for you to pay the price. They quote Isaiah and say, A virgin will bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So two things this angel pointed out. Jesus came to save from sin. He's God. He's no ordinary person, right? He's God himself in the flesh, came to this earth, fully God, fully man. And you know why he came? To redeem us from our sin. In fact, when you look at what Gabriel said to Mary in Luke 1, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She didn't go and fill out an application to be Jesus' mom. God chose her as that vessel. He said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name, what's his name? Jesus. He will be great and called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now catch this. And his kingdom will have no end. Well, where, where in the world did Gabriel get that? Well, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, God is speaking to David. And he says to David, when your days are complete and you lay down with your fathers, I will raise up for you a descendant who will come forth from you and establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Psalm 110, as we studied this summer, summer, he said, the Lord, Jehovah Yahweh said to my Lord Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make a footstool of your enemy He's talking about this Davidic king. This king was not born in the castle. This king was born in a barn. And he came that he might redeem us and adopt us as sons. Listen, Romans 3.23 is clear. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I ask you today, Saved and unsaved, do you recognize the need that you have today? Do you recognize that you cannot cover up your sin? You can go buy all the the oil-based kills you want to from the paint store. You're not going to cover it up. You can't seal your sin. You can't do enough good stuff to redeem your bad stuff. The only way it can be done is by turning to the one who died on the cross, bore your penalty for the sin that that your sin deserves. You see, God sent Jesus to redeem us, but here's the three things that it gives to us. It pays our sin debt. Romans 3.23 says, the wages of sin is death. 
Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. But if you leave this world and you stand before God in judgment without Christ, you will bear the penalty of your sin, which Hebrews teaches is the second death. Revelation teaches that at the end, that death and Hades or hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. That the penalty for the sinner is hell. And the only way, the only way that I can make sure that my direction is not pointed that way is to repent of my sins and trust the provision that Christ has made on the cross. You haven't heard the word hell in a while, have you? Because we live life for the moment. Yeah, we'll worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, but we don't worry about what's going to happen in the future. We're content that if my kids in my household had all been baptized, there's nobody else in my life that I need to worry about. No, I'm fine and my kids are fine, but I don't give a, a, a anything about the person living next to me that's going to hell, do I? I'm just asking the question. Because to me, it's humanistic to live in the here and now and only for myself. And I believe Jesus came to break humanism. I don't believe humanism has any place in the church or in our spiritual life. John the Baptist was very clear when he said, I must decrease so that Christ can increase. Is that your story? That when you think about your life, you think about your relationship with Christ, have I become less that he can become more? He paid my sin debt. And why did he do that? He did that to free me from death. Romans 8, 7 through 9 says, For he has, who, who has died is freed from sin. Died how? Died in the cross. The symbolism of baptism is the symbolism that I'm going into the ground just like Jesus did. That I'm dying to my sin. Turning away from it. Metanoia, the word for repentance means to turn away from. How ironic it is that I will claim to be a Christian but continue living the way that I did before I met Christ. Well, he can forgive whatever. I can just keep living the way that I want to. Did he not give the world for me to enjoy? Well, I don't know about you, but I also believe this world has fallen. And to find enjoyment into something that, that, that has fallen is not, is not full joy, is it? My full joy should be Christ alone. It says here in that, the rest of that passage, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's kind of the selling point that we do when we preach Christ sometimes. Like, you know what? If you'll just ask Jesus into your heart, you'll be in heaven someday. That's a very incomplete way of presenting the gospel. Look at me. Seriously, look at me. If you as an adult are going back to a point in time when you were in elementary school and say, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I were to ask you, what do you mean by that? And the first word out of your mouth isn't because I need to be forgiven my sins. You don't know what it meant to ask Jesus into your heart. Seriously, I'm, I'm asking you. Can you verbally say, I was lost in my sin and dead. Jesus died on the cross to take my sin away. I've done nothing of my own. It's not the prayer I prayed. It's not the church that I joined. It's not the Bible that I read. Is, the, is it the promise of Christ that if I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, I would be saved? Is that, is that what I speak? 
Because when I accept Christ, I'm adopted into his family. My identity has changed. We know of at least two men in the New Testament whose names were changed after knowing Jesus. Saul became Paul and Simon became Peter. Has your life radically been changed since you accepted the gospel? If it hasn't, then you need to analyze what it is that you believe. In Romans 8, 15 through 16, it echoes what we read in verse 6. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's not saying Daddy, Daddy. He's saying it in one language and saying it in another language. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. By this we know that God sent the Spirit to change who we are. My faith journey, my faith journey is not about telling other people, hold on, my faith journey is not telling other people, hey, look at me, look at how good I am now. My faith journey is about growing into the image of the Son of God, to be transformed. If that's, if that's not my subjugated goal, then I've missed the point of the gospel. In this passage, in chapter 4, Paul is talking about being enslaved to sin. That the law came, and, and because the law reveals what sin is in my life, therefore I'm standing in, in utter need, dead in my trespasses, for somebody to come and give me life. And that life, that spirit that, that now lives inside of me and lives inside of you if you accepted Jesus, it is my life. It's not my wishful thinking it's not, again, the five steps to make my life a little better. It's about yielding myself to the Son of God. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses, I quote it often. I'm crucified with Christ. That means I've died. It's no longer I that live, because I'm, I'm already dead. But Christ lives in me. He's the one that through the Spirit of God animates me to be able to live out the will of God in my life. And if I've claimed to be a Christian for 20 years, and transformation has not taken place... And all that Christianity can, can be done, uh, boiled down to, is a list of checkpoints of trying to make myself look better. I've missed the point of the gospel. You see, when I come to the place where I realize just how sinful I am, how desperate I am, how undone I am, then the only thing that I can do is reach up and ask God to pull me out of that, out of that pit. How desperate are you? How desperate are you? In your life. It's easy for us to look around and say, God, look at this culture. It's so sinful. I don't think Jesus wants us looking around and condemning sin out there until I look inside of here and condemn the sin that's in here. Yielding that to the Lord. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 17. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. <laughs> we just don't know, do we? That's what the word ignorance means. God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man. What man? Whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Do you know why Jesus can give you eternal life? Because he lives. Yeah, I'll miss that one. He's alive. Let's try that again. He's alive. He's alive right now. 
He didn't stop being alive. He didn't stop being a man. He's sitting at the right hand of God, fully God, fully man, praying for you and me. He wants us to grow. He wants us to change for the glory of God. And as Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For within the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When you repent, when I repent, not just acknowledging that I'm a sinner, sinner, but feeling the weight of the judgment that, that is deserved in my life. A fearful knowing of what would happen if I have to face that judgment. Then you turn from those sins. You trust in Christ. He's not up there shaming you. He's inviting you. He's not browbeating you. He's saying, look, this is the reality. If you reject me, you're going to receive the second death. But if you accept me, you will live forever with me in glory. So where do you sit today? The last point on your bulletin said, trust Christ no matter the circumstances. Have you trusted Christ that way? No matter what God brings against you, no matter what temptation comes into your life, is your mantra Christ alone? So today I'm going to ask you to consider something. If you say that you're saved, in just a few minutes as we open this altar and we sing this song, I want you to ask yourself the question, am I saved? It, it, It bothers me deep within my heart to think that there's somebody that's living a life of liturgy of cultural Christianity that's one step away from leaving this world and spending it in hell I, 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 can't, I can't sit with that I, I can't, I, I mean even in my own self I want to analyze myself to where I stand with the gospel and so I want to challenge you today that when, in just a minute as we sing we'll have pastors down here I want you to come you're not alone not anything to be embarrassed of. Come and talk to somebody and say, look, I just, I'm lost. Or you know what, I, I, when I was little, I went up and I just want to make sure that I know where my assurance is. Do you know how you know you're saved? I asked you earlier, if somebody asked you, if you know how you're saved, do you know what your response should say, be? Jesus promised. The Word of God. The Word of God. Not your experience, not the prayer you prayed, but the Word of God. Jesus said, if you will believe, I will save you. Who does the saving? You? Who saves you? Jesus saves you. So here's my challenge for everybody else in the room. At the bottom of that study guide I gave you, and and I think Brother Fred has even taught this to you in the last year. Have you told your story to anybody? It's hard to sit around a funeral home table with a family. Grandfather's died. Kids are sitting there and they're starting to plan a service, a memorial. And the pastor that they've asked to preach the funeral looks at him and says, well, hey, I mean, it's the hardest question. Look at me. For a pastor to have to look at you and say, can you tell me their story? And they can't tell you your, their story. Then you're standing up in a pulpit going, I can't preach this guy into heaven. And his life wasn't bearing out the witness of Christ. I, I, what do I say? You can't lie? But I think the worst thing that you can do is not tell at least your family your story. What was life like before I met Christ? What happened to me when I accepted Christ? And how has my life changed since? So if you're over 60 years old, 
and you haven't told your story to a family member or a friend, do it this week. If you're under 60, write your story down and share it with somebody. I say this not to brag, but this week somebody texted me accidentally. They said, hey, this is so-and-so, I'm looking for Jake. I'm like, not Jake. And they said, well, I'm sorry, I hope you have a great day. And I said, well, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't know why you wrote to me. I said, but I bet I can pray for you for whatever's going on in your life today. Well, she took the bait, and she kept writing with me. And eventually she said, well, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a guide. I tell people about Jesus so that they can acknowledge that they're a sinner in this life and that their sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And she wrote back, she said, well, I'm an atheist. I said, well, how long have you been an atheist? She said, as long as I can remember. And I said, well, have you considered that there is a God who has sent his son to die for your sins? And she said, well, I'm getting tired of this conversation. <laughs> but what if, I don't know where she is, but what if she walked out of that and somebody else told her their story? And she went, wait a minute, some guy accidentally just texted the gospel to me and I just ran into somebody on the street, maybe this God is real. You don't know the power of your intentions and your story. So your homework, everybody, even online, wherever you are, what was your life like before Christ, what happened when Christ saved you, and what's your life been ever since? And I want you to find somebody this week to share your story with, especially if you're in the dawning of your life, don't put it on your children to have to make up a story to preach you into heaven at a funeral. That's a weight no child should ever have to carry. So I want to invite you to stand as Josiah and Callie come to lead us in this song of invitation. I don't know what your need is, but if you're lost today, if you're lost today, I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come. There, I'm giving you permission that if any eyes look at you walking up that aisle, they're praying for you, not judging you. Make that walk down here and see us. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Turn from your sins. Ask Jesus to save you from those sins and give you that eternal life. Why not today? Why would you leave this place today questioning and being insecure? Come today and do some business with the Lord. Father, we give this time to you. I don't know if there's somebody in this room or online that's lost, doesn't know you. But what I'm asking God is that you would do a work in their heart and life right now. Lord, that you would touch them in a special way, that you would open up their understanding to the need that they have to be saved and how Jesus dying on the cross solves the problem in their life, which is sin. Taking that sin away, forgiving that sin, and imparting to them eternal life that we experience now and we experience in the hereafter as we live forever, worshiping, glorifying, and being with you. In Jesus' name, amen.